0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.
2: This episode is brought to you by Cheese State University. Cheese State University was created for dedicated cheese professionals seeking to deepen their knowledge, sharpen their skills, and build connections. Join them in the Ivy League of Cheese Education at cheesestateuniversity.com.
1: This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. And today we are speaking with uh, Bryce Oates, who's actually been on the show at least once, maybe twice. Um, He is a writer covering rural policy, people, places, and politics. His work includes articles on federal farm and food policy, public lands and conservation issues, racial and gender equity in rural uh, areas, climate change, economic inequality, rural demographic data, and the many iterations of quote-unquote rural pottery. Poverty, pottery, poverty, sorry about that. Uh, Oates is uh, the rural policy correspondent for the Daily Yonder and a freelancer for other publications, including uh, my favorite and yours, Civil Eats and Outdoor Life. And of course, a new publication that just got off the ground called The Barn Barnraiser. But why he's on the show today, um, aside from his general expertise in all things rural, um, is that uh, Bryce has just launched a new newsletter called The Cocklebur. um, And The Cocklebur covers rural policy and politics from a progressive point of View interesting and his work focuses on a tangled rural political reality of dishonest debate economic and racial disparities corporate power over our democracy and disinformation peddled by conservative media outlets strong words indeed bryce He and his staff aim to use facts, data, and science to inform their point of view. They wear their complicated love uh, WTF relationship with rural America on their sleeve. Uh, Wonderful description of the Cocklebur, and you couldn't have you named it, it better. <laughs> you couldn't <laughs> have named it better if you tried. I mean, really, i did um, try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, it shows you picked the right name. Um, so that's a, that's an exciting development in your life. So let's let's talk about that for a few minutes before we dive into some of the issues that you have covered and will continue to cover. Um, what. How often is the Cocklebur going to come out, for starters?
3: Um, two to three times a week to begin with. I'd, okay. like, to, I'd like to expand that to every day um, and even hire a couple writers if it really takes off. Great. Um, it's been going on for getting on a couple of weeks now, and it's going mm-hmm. really well. And people are really donating. It is a free newsletter for all, so I want to make that clear. Um, right. But donors are really picking up steam. And, um, That's great price. I'm very confident about it.
1: Yeah, right. That's terrific. And um, so, just to reiterate, what kind of topics are you planning on? Well, sometimes uh, as covering. A, I mean, yeah.
3: so I want to cover rural voters and rural politics, yeah. and sort of the complicated mess. Um, a lot of times, we hear from pundits and the mainstream media questions about, you know uh, what the heck is wrong with rural voters? Um, Mm -hmm. I'm a rural voter. I come from rural people, uh, working class and poor rural people. And I kind of have the same questions. And so I really wanted to dip into that. For instance, um, you know, we hear a lot about soccer moms, but we don't hear much about the deer hunting dads out there in rural America. (laughs) Very Um, good point. We hear a lot about, uh, you know, security dads sometimes in the suburbs, right? But we don't really hear about snap voters or, um, you know, a lot Mm -hmm. of my friends and neighbors who work in gas stations or who, you know, who work in uh, cafes and are, you know, paid on tip wages. And so it's very frustrating that the complicated picture that is rural America painted by the mainstream media, I think it's just very misunderstood. And I think that there's a lot of reasons why uh, rural voters do what they do. And Mm -hmm. I really want to dip into that. And on the second hand, um, I'm a person of privilege who, first person in my family to graduate from college. And I've Mm -hmm. been to D.C. a lot and I cover Washington, uh, the House and Senate Agriculture Committee's federal policy. Right. I watch these debates play out and I never really had an outlet for sort of the day to day patterns that I saw and Mm -hmm. sort of the. Uh, moment to moment, uh, things that happen in the Capitol that I'd like to really report. And I think that my audience, you know, appreciates a lot more in-depth news like that. And so this is really just a compliment to the, uh, freelance reporting I'm doing for Daily Yonder, um, and, uh, you know, the other outlets.
1: Right, right. And, and how will your, you know, how will your uh, slant, say, differ from, I don't know, Civil Eats or Food Fix? You know, no, Helena no, Butler-Evich's place. Or- um,
3: I think in some ways, like Civil Eats and, and Food Fix, they're doing wonderful stuff. Um, mm. My my work is, is a little bit more broad in the rural way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's not just focused on food and agriculture. Right. Um, you know, it's more about uh, forestry, um, uh, rural economic development. Um, the different patterns cool. that exist in rural. I want to. I'm doing a deep dive into rural housing. Um, right. Currently, uh, I have been unhoused in my rural community for about five months because of a. I'm a renter, and I had uh-huh. an issue with the house, and so I've been sort of uh, going from hotel to hotel to Airbnb to Airbnb. Oof. Um, anyway, that's not the only brutal. reason I'm back in rural Missouri with my with my family I grew up with. But it is one. <laughs> uh-huh. And so that house isn't going to get back up to speed for a couple weeks. So, you mm-hmm. know, it's been a real reality to me to see the challenges of rural housing that just doesn't exist in many places, um, especially rental housing or affordable places to live. Uh, for mm. somebody who has a, a moment of, you know, unhoused reality.
1: Right, right. It is amazing how little that is covered because, <clears throat> certainly, around where I live, and I live in quite a rural area in southern Rhode Island, and there is almost no rental housing to be had. Yeah. I mean, part of that is because of the huge influx of people who came, uh, f- you know, fleeing from COVID from yes. these bigger cities. Um, and that, to some extent, has kind of died down. But the reality is, is that, you know, there are other places that are desirable, my my own house included, that I'm renting out to summer visitors because I can make a huge amount of money doing that. Yeah, I but get that it. means that other people can't live in that house, right? right. Families right. that yeah. need that housing don't have as- access to it. So. Right.
3: And I think it's been a yeah. really <laughs> rapid change. And then... An- Mm-hmm. Uh Maybe a shocking change to some people. And so I well, happen- I'm sure it's
1: shocking to the elderly, man.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're anywhere go either, right. And you
1: have no place to go and you don't have family or friends you can crash with. I mean, I don't yeah. know what you do then.
3: Yeah. Luckily, I'm in my middle 40s and I'm in pretty mm-hmm. good shape. Um, You know, I guess <laughs> sort of good shape. But, um, you know, I can just throw my sleeping pad out on the floor or even on the Amtrak, which I did for a while uh <laughs> the last few months. So, brutal. Um, it's not that brutal. I had a good experience, but good. but it can be brutal. But it does show you a lot of things about the reality of the rural housing crisis out there.
1: Right. And what about broadband? I know we're getting way off the topic here, but you know <laughs> you hear a lot about just – I mean, because of course, that's why I have an outline, Bryce, because otherwise I have terrible ADD and I cannot stay on a topic. I, hey, I'm so, with you. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just curious, like, since we're talking about housing, you know, broadband is something we all hear a lot about. And that was part of uh, Biden's, you know, many initiatives to kind of repair and recharge America. Mm-hmm. Um, is that do you see that as as big a problem as it's painted to be in mainstream oh, media? Yeah. I
3: have I do. Um, why
1: is that? There are no cell towers out in Missouri or that's it. Um, Kansas? I just wanted,
3: maybe I'll explain it just by. Uh, the word broadband itself is confusing to people. Yes. Really, I, I speak of it as high-speed internet access. Right. So it doesn't matter if it's fiber or if it's over there, right? Like. Right. Um, but, rec- I mean, point. literally, I'm standing here, sitting here in my parents' uh, <laughs> extra bedroom, and mm-hmm. they did not have access to high-speed internet in west rural Missouri, roughly you know an hour and a half south of Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Um, until about six months ago. So they oh my god! That. So, so the so not only how do
1: people communicate?
3: <laughs> well, um, I wouldn't be here, <laughs> staying with them right now, and using an on this radio station if uh, they didn't right. have internet like that. Right? Absolutely. So I don't know what I would have done because I can't work without. Without high speed internet, as a free of course, trader. and so I'm just saying, I think that shows two things. One, the difficulties people have with visiting family, with um, you know, with uh, traveling out into the rural areas of America, even living out in the rural areas, and then two, you know, things are actually getting done and getting better in rural America due to federal investment in mm-hmm. the high speed internet, and I think that the infrastructure bill. And, you know, and uh, Inflation Reduction Act, not, not necessarily on Internet stuff, but the American Rescue Plan Act, mm-hmm. you know, things are actually getting better and improving. I think we need more money and I think we need more focus on that issue. Yes. But well, do you
1: think I mean, given yeah. that the rural America tends to slant towards the Republican Party, um, <clears throat> are, are are those voters uh, conscious of the improvement in their uh, you know, infrastructure, uh, high-speed internet access, or what, what have you, are all of the things that were brought by the big federal uh, infusions of cash into the states. Are, are they? Do you think that will switch their party affiliation, or will they continue to vote for, you know, Chuck Grassley, Mitch McConnell, um, you know, the usual roster of aging white men out of touch with real life?
3: Well, um, I'm going to set high-speed internet access aside a bit. Because, on one, sure. I don't think it'll switch them because I do think a lot of Republicans, Chuck Grassley, you mentioned, uh, Mitch McConnell, et cetera, they, they do actually support. And that's a very, very, very rare area where mm-hmm. Republicans have actually made some choices to increase federal investment in rural communities is, is the right. internet. And so I think that just shows um, that's a good example of what happens when what I would call a progressive Democratic priority gets embraced by the Republicans. Mm-hmm. And that took years and years and years <laughs> of the Democrats hammering on this issue before they finally relented, the, the Republicans relented.
1: And wow. in the sense that they re, they they agreed to fund uh, in, increased access. Yeah, Spangling. I mean, it's so interesting Spangling. to me that <clears throat> that it took that long and mm-hmm. that voters were not more vocal in demanding it. From their Republican leaders. Uh, Yeah. What is
3: that? I I think asking voters, um, I mean, voters are complicated, but I think asking them to vote on high speed Internet access uh, alone is probably not something that they're going to vote on. I mean, my mother Mm -hmm. is, you know, uh, 66. She's sitting in the other room over there. She's never been Mm -hmm. on the Internet once. And unfortunately, that's the reality of a lot of people in rural America. Mm -hmm. So, so again, there's just a constituency in rural communities. They're not going to vote on Internet access alone. Now, I see see high-speed Internet access as an issue of justice. And I do Mm -hmm. think every rural community should have it. And I do think that uh, the other reason why people don't vote on it is Democrats, in my opinion, don't use issues like high-speed internet access and Republican obstruction to it as the wedge that they should.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So that's part Very of the reason I started the Cuckold Bar, frankly, mm-hmm. is that there are issues that, that I see in rural America that are incredibly popular, and we're getting ready to talk about the Clean Water Act, say. Mm-hmm. Eh? Yes. <laughs> um, and that corporate power is another one. Um, industrial livestock facilities, KFOS, however you want to right. describe it as another. When Democrats don't talk about them, then why would voters have any interest in making a choice based on those issues? Mm-hmm. In other words, if Democrats prioritized those issues and made clear distinctions between themselves and Republicans, mm-hmm. then voters would have a clear choice. Right now, I think many Democrats don't do that. I think some do, but I think many don't.
1: I also think that uh, when they do, like I'm I'm thinking back to when um, in the last uh, presidential primary, Mm -hmm. um, was it? No, it was when Trump was running for president. Mm -hmm. And Elizabeth Warren, I think it was then, Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker came out and they were were like all over the, you know, industrial agriculture and we need to like break up these monopolies and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And by extension, you know, clean up some of the... Uh, environmental degradation that that follows from industrial ag and uh and republicans uh were quick to say well you're you're not connecting with the rural voter uh these people depend on these facilities for their livelihoods which you know if you really dig into it turns out that's not true. Um, right. but then, but you know, they were, the Democrats were allowed to be bulldozed by this, uh, you know, alternative reality, um, that the Republicans put forth that a, the Democrats don't know what those issues are and don't understand them and therefore should never address them. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. that they're, you know, silly and frivolous anyway, because they might take jobs away. I mean, I, I don't understand why that, you know, why those, uh, things why the mainstream media just continues to let the republicans go uh, with these stories um, yeah. that are yeah. utterly false there you you know, go. It's The same thing that's with great. with with comparing hunter biden's laptop to jared kushner getting 2.1 billion dollars completely from the saudi arabians you know what i mean it's yeah. like what yeah. like that's not nepotism- like you're telling me that's not corrupt but hunter biden right. You know, being on the board, however inappropriate it was, is somehow worse. I mean, it's it's not even. Anyway, let's get on with our. uh,
3: Yes, I agree 100 percent. Let's talk about
1: your. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry.
3: No, I just I I guess um, one thing to say about the primary process. I don't think this clicks with a lot of people. You know, a lot of people Mm -hmm. are going to vote in the Republican primary who care about. Right. So nobody in the Republican primary is offering them a solution on cleaning up. Industrial livestock facilities Right So I mean That's again Even though That might be the biggest issue Say in rural Iowa Or eastern North mm-hmm. Carolina You know or, or
1: even in Missouri
3: Or even in Missouri Or southeastern Minnesota mm-hmm. They're still going to vote In the Republican primary So they're They're not going to be Talking about these issues In the media um, On mm-hmm. the Republican side uh, They're going to get Candidate surveys and stuff Again during the primary Um mm-hmm talking about KFOS and industrial livestock facilities. And unfortunately, even in the general election, KFOS um, don't come up, you know, no. or, or environmental justice issues don't come up because <laughs> the Democrats don't force it. And so, I mean, it's, it's, to me, it's bipartisan neglect about rural issues, about environmental justice. Um, you know, again, high speed internet for a long time, but now, that Republicans have kind of got on board the rural high-speed internet access train, (laughs) then then it's no longer an issue that matters for elections.
1: Right, right, right.
3: I want to push on the issues that matter to rural voters. And to me, it doesn't, and these are the people I know, um, people working on these issues, grassroots groups. So it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter to me whether it's, I care about issues that are popular. It Doesn't matter whether they're—they do tend to be supported by Democrats in the national way rather than Republicans. That's true, but some Democrats also don't embrace the things that are going to be coming out in the cucklebar. For instance, I have some my posts later today will be somewhat critical of uh, of uh, Representative in Virginia who has embraced the Farm Bureau, uh, sort of her strategy strategy for getting elected in her area. Right. And so, you know, she's a leading House Democrat. And um,
1: Who's that Spanberger?
3: You got it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I was getting ready to say. And <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's I do like her in a lot of ways. She's yes. very she has voted for a lot of the things that matter. She voted for the bipartisan infrastructure bill. She voted for the Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah. I mean, she even supported WOTUS, which we're gonna talk about. Um, right in the resolution. So, I mean, but also she reaches out constantly to the Farm Bureau. She just had a hearing, um, a farm bill summit yesterday in her district and mm. the two lead speakers were from the Farm
1: Bureau. Right.
3: I mean, that's we should cool.
1: explain what the Farm Bureau is. There's plenty of people out there who don't know what that means. Yeah, right.
3: So the Farm Bureau, um, what they claim is they're the voice of agriculture. That's in their own words. Um, they're a very large, the, the largest industrial livestock and industrial row crop lobby in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a history of being anti labor, uh, anti union, um, you know, very regressive rather than progressive. They're very, very much aligned with the Republican Party. Yeah. Um, they're huge. Uh, the is issue we're going to talk about. They have been the lead organization, one of the lead organizations for sure in the country uh, to promote misinformation and disinformation Mm -hmm. about how, um, what they call, and I'm using my quotes here, burdensome regulations uh, are going to lead to the end of agriculture and the family farmers. We know it again, that's in their (laughs) words. That's not at all true. Um, There's never been a farm that's gotten run out of business because of uh, regulations. There is no such thing as green police or environmental police out there. Right. They use hysteria to whip up. And and, and this is a common tactic that they use. Hysteria yes. and misinformation. And so that um, this is the biggest reason that I started the Cockleburn <laughs> is that mm-hmm. is that I've I've grown up with and been around um, that kind of misinformation my whole life. Mm-hmm. Rural agricultural media, the mainstream even agricultural media, uh, successful farming, um, agri news—they uh, publish Agri-pols, regularly yeah. quotes. by yeah, they regularly publish and promote quotes from Farm Bureau um, and the politicians who they work closely with. Generally right. Republicans, but again some Democrats who sort of chirp the talking points that the Farm Bureau produces. So maybe we it, it, once we get to the waters of the United States stuff, it might make a little more sense for people.
1: Well, well, let's go there right now. So, so your first, um, in your first iteration of the Cucklebur was a story about waters of the United States, and this particular issue um, has been a Republican talking point since the Obama administration, and probably long before. Right. So, um, what we're talking about is whether or not the EPA. Mm-hmm. via the Clean Water Act, has the authority to regulate bodies of water, I guess mostly on farm, but really everywhere. So it's our rivers and streams, our lakes, our shorelines, all of that comes under the Clean Water Act. But Waters of the United States became a third rail because the Republican Party claimed that regulating any sort of effluent from farms was going to shut down family farms. But what we're really talking about is effluent from CAFOs and large industrial agricultural operations, right? Well,
3: not even that necessarily.
1: Really? I mean, okay. I mean, there's – a okay.
3: So the truth is about – I'll give you my woe to spiel and then we can move okay. to how Do it. the Clean Water Act – Wa- you know, exempts nearly all of agriculture, right? Right. So th- the situation is that, so this, the, what they call the WOTUS is the waters of the United States It really just clarifies which, like you said, Katie, which river streams, wetlands, shorelines are under regulation by the federal clean water act, which was passed in the early seventies mm-hmm. um, in a bipartisan way. Um, so there was a court case, uh, and it made sure that the Obama administration, what WOTUS rule, simply clarified which waters of the United States, because that's the language in the Clean Water Act, um, mm-hmm. are under federal EPA—that's Environmental Protection Agency—permits. And so the truth is, what this what WOTUS rule does is actually clarifies what activities and not are part of the clean water act and the, the the it actually exempts nearly every i mean i by nearly i mean 99.9% mm-hmm. of agricultural activities including regular farming plowing ranching seeding cultivating harvesting for doing forest practices building ponds dikes levees groins riprap Um, irrigation ditches, uh, anything dealing with farm roads, uh, exempted our prior converted croplands. So what happened, you know, a lot of parts of the country, there's big giant row crop operations. They've been drained and tiled. That means sort of, you take a ripper and you, uh, you know, it's wet soils. It's like wetland soils, but not fully wet. And Mm so, um, they put a drainage system underneath it and then that, Uh, There's a drain pipe that runs to a creek or stream. So those are exempt. Any kind of water treatment system is exempt. Any farm ditch, any irrigated area that would revert to dry land if the irrigation wasn't there, any lake or pond created by excavating or diking land, that's exempt. So basically, uh, but that doesn't mean (laughs) that the, the political debate has any merit in 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 fact, around this. Instead, the Republicans, especially and even a handful of Democrats, have said that, oh, no. And if you listen to any congressional House or Senate hearing, you will hear these talking points put out by the Farm Bureau and put out by the Republicans and even a number of. The checkoff funded commodity groups—that's like the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, right?
1: National Pork, National Pork Producers, Pork Producers
3: Council. Council. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> there we said <set> it together. <laughs> <laughs> Association, et cetera. You will hear them constantly rail, as you said, it's a third rail, um, on WOTUS as as making it, you know, the EPA, the Green Police. They're going to regulate every river, every pond, every stream, every, every ditch. ditch. That a farmer has to deal with. Well, that's simply not true. It's right there in the law. Yeah. It's right there in the Biden order on the Clean Water Act. It's right Right. there in WOTUS that they are fully exempt. And so this whole debate has driven me crazy for many years because I'm simply hearing – You know, and watching hearing after hearing, it doesn't even matter. It could be about crop insurance. It could Mm -hmm. be about uh, crop subsidies of a different kind. It could be about conservation programs. And the Republicans, one after another, keep talking about WOTUS as if that's going to be what they call, and they're wrong, and they're not even telling the truth, as the end of the family farm. Right. Right. And so, what is,
1: what's in it for them, though? That's what I don't get. Like, why is the Farm Bureau? Why are these like if they're all exempt? Why are they beefing about it? They're also
3: scared of any potential regulation because the truth is, they know they're polluting the water. Oh yeah, in rural America, and we used oh, hell yeah for millions <laughs> uh, of times. Oh my god, show. and that is doing this for 14 years. Oh yeah, exactly. and the core <laughs> issue is that agriculture is exempt from the Clean Water Act. I don't think and – and the majority of rural Americans, I believe, and you know, various uh, research and, and surveys and polling has shown they support the Clean Water Act, and they mm-hmm. think that industrial agriculture should be regulated. They don't think giant KFOs, whether they be beef or, or hog or chicken or egg or any kind, should be polluting the water because we all – you know, like depend on our public water systems in one way or another, or we depend on wells out in rural America. And right. so there, we have very sensitive water systems. Um, and whenever our rivers and streams and lakes are polluted or whenever our groundwater is polluted, when it comes to wells, then that puts a cost on all of us in rural America. And so, I mean, we already pay high prices sometimes if we are on city water. We call it city yep. water in the country. Whenever it's piped to <laughs> our houses, rather than being on sure. well. Um, right. So um, even if it's a tiny little town like I live in, so um, <laughs> so even when we have city water, you know, it like we're paying you know fifty, sixty, seventy dollars a month for water, but also we want it to be clean. Yeah, and in most parts of the country where agriculture is the chief industry, that's not the case.
1: Yes, I've and definitely so explored
3: think, that. Yeah. And I, that's absolutely what the Clean Water Act is there to prevent, right? Yeah. And so literally, there are, the, the other thing that this whole debate gets wrong is that a permit is really just a license to operate. It doesn't prevent activities. You know, a permit does not prevent a CAFO from operating. It's right. simply, you know... Uh, a fee they pay their state department of natural resources, or you know, or the equivalent, right? To to operate, and it lays out the steps they'll take whether there's a spill, et cetera. And the state says, with a rubber stamp, in most cases,
1: <laughs> okay, unfortunately,
3: yes. go ahead and operate. And then when they spill, you know, there's supposed to be fines, legal implications. And most mm-hmm. of the time, there isn't. And yeah. so what, what's so maddening when you understand the truth about what's happening with water pollution throughout rural America, urban America too,
1: mm-hmm.
3: is that those companies, those operations are really operating outside the law,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and they should be fined and they're not. And they're never, they're very, very, very rarely shut down if they violate their permit. And so they're right. giving such wide latitude that, you know, I have seen and reported on pollution for for years. Yeah. And, and I just don't see any reason why the so, the like the wotus hysteria <laughs> has been right. allowed to be reported as truth by the mainstream media or by the agriculture media.
1: Yeah, I totally it's really agree. Not. It's not. It's not true. Yeah. It's not true. It's, there's no accuracy to the reporting, and it's not doesn't really understand what the issues are. We have to take a short break here. We'll be right back with Bryce Oates. Stay tuned right now for a
4: Sponsor Drop, uh, and until then. Coming this spring, we're working on something big for opening soon.
0: Opening a restaurant can sometimes take months or even years. So I have this one consulting client
2: that's been three months away from opening for the past year.
0: And I had a calendar reminder show up today, and the reminder was that our goal was to open tomorrow this spring you'll be able to hear it in just a few hours on march 30th he had passed away and then on march 31st he had come back to life and then on april 2nd he had passed away again and i was like okay in my regards to the family i don't even know how to receive this information
4: so tune in as we follow one of brooklyn's best and brightest young chefs and restaurateurs on their journey from start to open doors alex you need to put more money in we're out we can't pay anybody
1: he is the bra worst oh my (laughs) god that guy
0: it's the build subscribe to opening soon from heritage radio network wherever you listen to podcasts this
2: episode is brought to you by cheese state university cheese state university was created for dedicated cheese professionals seeking to deepen their knowledge sharpen their skills and build connections
4: It feels like a gift to be able to give this gift to people because I know that from my own experiences, I know how valuable, Mm -hmm. consolidated, incredible training resources are.
2: They offer an in-depth education on all things cheese, as well as an active network for peer support and career development.
4: You can pop over to the quad, which is our social networking and engagement app. Um, And so that's a really fun and dynamic aspect of Cheese State University.
2: Cheese State's three-part course is designed for seasoned pros and entry-level mongers alike, and covers all the skills one needs to perform on the cheese counter.
4: The structure of Cheese State University is all based on the Cheese State University field guide. Um, And that is a three-volume resource. It's all digital online.
2: At the end of the course, students will be ready to ace the field guide assessment and earn their Cheese State Scholar Certificate.
4: Another resource is a video series where we tackle sort of like these thornier questions that you can get on the cheese counter, like what is rennet, And like, why is this cheese so expensive? And can pregnant people even eat cheese?
2: At Cheese State, you're among experts, you're among scholars, you're among cheese lovers, and most importantly, you are a monger. Join them in the Ivy League of Cheese Education at CheesestateUniversity.com.
1: So <clears throat> it turned out that, okay, so when Biden issued that new rule on WOTUS that you described in the <clears throat> before the break, um, the Senate immediately responded with a successful vote to repeal it. And then there was a House resolution, quote, providing for congressional disapproval, end quote. Um, what? I, what I find extraordinary, especially in light of what we've just been talking about in terms of how uh, unregulated, even the lightest regulation is, you know, ends up being enforced. Um, wh- why? First of all, why were so many Democratic lawmakers on board with the Republicans in repealing uh, Biden's rule? And secondly, why isn't everyone on board with clean water? Because the amount of money it's going to cost to clean this up or deal with, you know, the fallout, the ultimate fallout of this is is far more than it would cost for some, you know, company like Tyson to clean up their manure pit.
3: Right. Well, I mean— Boy, that's the
1: question. But first of all, why do you think those, why do those Democrats, why did the Democrats vote in favor of the repeal? What was their, is that a money thing? In terms of
3: the House, Mm -hmm. um, we'll take a look at some of them. David Scott, Sanford Bishop, uh, Angie Craig, Don Davis, uh, Jim Costa. They're on the Agriculture Committee. Right. So they are constantly flooded with, with, with these talking points by republicans right yeah and they they do that thing when you for people who don't watch house and senate and uh, hearings all the time they might not know this but there's this sort of fake i would call it um air of oh we have to be you know even if we completely disagree on every issue we say My friend from Georgia or, you know, they 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 pretend to be buddies, even though they are really arguing in very heated ways a lot of the times. Yeah. And so I understand why that's important. There's the core. We need to have open and honest debate. The problem is in this debate, there hasn't been any honesty. And I get so frustrated with, again, the Republicans and many Democrats, because I don't think that they actually read um, and are not clear about the legal implications or the regulatory implications of the things that they're voting on now that's not a surprise but it's also in this case the wotus case the clean water ant case it's very important because so many of those <laughs> i don't i don't know if they have bad staffers i don't know if the white house hasn't done a good enough job although they They have done a good job on WOTUS, in my opinion. But I don't know if the Democratic Party infrastructure is scared of Republican talking points. Because, Mm -hmm. again, when you get into the rural media, almost everything you'll read is about how WOTUS is going to take away the family farm. Um, And so this whole misinformation campaign, in this case, has really built the momentum that that's what's caused – some of those Democrats and in the house or in the Senate, you got John Tester, you know, he,
1: I know he, that really surprised me.
3: Right. He's generally, uh, quite good pretty, on pretty liberal, of, right. Issues of corporate power, mm-hmm. um, environmental justice issues too. Yep. And so that did surprise me. Um, but he might, you should
1: send him an issue of the cucklubber. <laughs> he needs to understand. I mean, I read the, all, I read the language, you know, it's like, how, how could you possibly extrapolate from this language that the family farm is going to be regulated out of existence. I mean, it's right. just ridiculous, right. absolutely absurd. Right. Right. And there's not a there's not a breath of legislation about regulating the effluent from CAFOs. Right. I mean, right. You know? I mean,
3: there are there are a, a few thousand. I think it's around six thousand um, industrial livestock facilities in the country who have Clean Water Act permits through their states, but. The states manage the EPA regulations. That's how it works. So when I say the states, I don't want it to be confusing. Mm-hmm. But, um, and those are the biggest livestock facilities in the country. So you've got 6,000-ish, you know, that goes right. up and down some. EPA permitted, Clean Water Act permitted facilities in the country. Katie, how many livestock operations are there? There's 6,000. 000- Permanent operations, but there's a million.
1: Oh, at least I mean, They don't the actually country. have. I remember from uh, Food and Water Watch telling me that they don't actually have a count of how many of these confinement uh, facilities there are, because if it's under a thousand head, they don't have to apply for a permit. For right, that's the
3: whole them. point. So there's so it's it's less than one tenth of one right. percent of all livestock operations in the country. Who are regulated by the Clean Water Act? That's virtually nothing, and they should be, frankly, because of the huge risk that they cause with water pollution, and they have an enormous track record of polluting the water, nitrogen pollution, uh, other kinds of effluent, phosphorus, absolutely, phosphorus, yes, yep, yep. And so, so it's clear that they're a risk, and I think Mm -hmm. that they should absolutely be permitted. And should be hugely fined when they when they break the law. They're breaking the law, and it's not being enforced.
1: Right. Well, that's you know that's a whole second thing. But anyway, you followed up on the first piece with a second piece explaining that the Biden, uh, that President Biden vetoed that congressional resolution about voters. So what will happen next? Like. Is, well, is WOTUS, as WOTUS as it stands, going to be allowed to be implemented? Right. That's confusing.
3: Or, <clears throat> um, this is a question for the lawyers, unfortunately.
1: Oh, it, really?
3: <laughs> it, it is an, it, WOTUS is in effect currently. The the Biden-WOTUS rule, the Biden-WOTUS right. rule, Clean Water Act clarification is, is the most accurate way. I know how to say It's actually in effect. That said, Um, stays have been filed across the country and they've been issued in, I believe, Texas and Idaho currently, and maybe another by now. Um, they, uh, there's a Supreme court case headed down the road and, and, um, you know, they are expected to issue a ruling on a Supreme court case that has these issues in mind this summer. And so, um, basically we're sort of waiting on the courts to decide, unfortunately, (laughs) <laughs> for clarification of what will happen with the Biden-WOTUS rule. That said, uh, elections go a different way. Uh, Republicans win come 2024. Mm-hmm. Just like Trump did, that Republican, whether it's Trump or another Republican, right. uh, who, if they were to win in 2024, who would be in charge of the admi- the administration of the Clean Water Act, And they could, again, probably gut WOTUS uh, if the Republicans were to win. Now, if I were a Democrat, I would use that as a campaign issue because the Clean Water Act, again, polls at 80 plus percent. Right. But Democrats are scared of talking about WOTUS because they don't know. They're, They're obviously don't understand or they're too scared of industrial livestock and the industrial agriculture lobbies and the farm bureau Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. actually speak truth on this issue. Mm -hmm. But in reality, it would seem to me that a camp that a clear campaign issue, if I were, if I were to speak to any politician and interview them, which I will be doing (laughs) in 2024, I'll ask them if they support the clean water act or not, and then go down the WOTUS road with them.
1: Right. It would make sense
3: if we had a party a political party that were, you know, to be in favor of clean water, they would do the same thing.
1: Right, right. Well, why, let me, we're going to have to wrap it up here, but um, to me, I I find it fascinating that we are unable in mainstream media and on television news, unable to present issues as fundamental as protecting our water supplies to the Mm -hmm. public in a way that conveys how important it is, no matter what your party affiliation is. Yes. Every single person on the planet needs clean water, and that's just not negotiable. And so why we cannot convey to the public in a meaningful and urgent way how serious uh, our water supply problems are, how serious our water contamination issues are, and, you know, force people into really recognizing that this is a crisis for all of us. It's not just something that's happening out there in definitely. the Midwest, you know what I mean? Definitely, definitely. <laughs> what is the big challenge there, though? Well, okay. I mean, you wrote, your thing was totally clear. Like, you'd well, be an you. idiot not to <laughs> understand. The, <laughs> I
3: think so. You know so what too. I mean?
1: You have to I be like just deliberately say, blind I think it's because of the
3: muddy means. water that politics create. Yeah. I mean, I really do, and I mean, I know that's a you know silly saying or whatever, and it's just a, a slogan, perhaps. But it, it's just sort of it—it—it—it's maddening to think. I, I think it's because Democrats don't prioritize it, or Republicans don't, and Republicans can just say, "Well, I believe in clean water too," and then leave it at that. But this really needs to be dug into the details, right? Like we need to figure out, as a democratic society, um, how we're going to actually deliver clean water to people. Yeah. We're just not doing that right now. To me, this should be one of the top political issues on the table.
1: Yeah, I I would agree with you.
3: You know, it's not up to me. I get that. But when the mainstream media and when political pundits and when campaign strategists, Mm -hmm don't pay any attention to clean water it's not going to get up there it's not going to get on tv it's not going to it's not going to reach the levels that it should but i also think that it's up to grassroots groups and they're out there and it's up to other people to really elevate this issue to the high level that it needs to be because again we really do all need clean water and it's a slogan. Yes. And, and, but it's so easy for Republicans or for opponents of clean water, if that's a thing, I would call them opponents of clean water if they're against I would the too. Clean Water Act, Absolutely. to just say, well, I believe in clean water, but it, but it takes that extra effort to actually understand how federal policy matters in our lives, and I think that's what the media's job is, and that's what I'm going to try to do with the Cucklebar. bar.
1: Right. Well, this is your moment, my dear, to promote yourself shamelessly. <laughs> Tell people how they can sign up for the Cucklebur. Um, um, and well, remember, it's free now, but people, uh, Bryce definitely needs support with this.
3: Well, thank so. you. Um, yeah. So it is uh, a Substack newsletter. It's the cuckleburr.substack.com And it is free. Um, so please sign up. And if you feel like you <laughs> can afford to give a donation, that would be great. And I'll mm-hmm. keep Brighton uh, pointed and sharp. Uh, commentary on these issues, just like we talked about today.
1: That's right. Listen, Bryce, thank you so much. Do you, by the way, do you have a website people can go to, to read some of your other work?
3: Um, you know, uh, Katie, I'm not very good at technology. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, Listen, uh, the, I have a website and I literally don't know how to use oh it. Oh my gosh.
3: Um, is the best place to get me. I am on Twitter. Um, also at the cucklebur, C O C L E E U R. I got back on Twitter. I was off for a while. Right. I thought I needed to figure out a way to promote things.
1: Yes, you do. And this was one of them. So I thank you very much. And I look forward to seeing the future of the Cucklebur. It looks great to me. I can't right. wait to talk to you again. All right, Appreciate it. Kate. Thanks an awful lot, Bryce. You yeah. Too. Talk to you soon. And thanks to my sponsors, as always, for supporting the Heritage Radio Network and my show. And to all the listeners who tune in. See you next time. Thanks for listening. What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights, is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.